Well, with uh, week two in the bag, it's time for another man hug with my brothers Aaron and Sam. This week's discussion is it's an interesting one. Uh, so I, I think that you'll I think you'll find it interesting as well. Okay, welcome back to week two of, of uh, the po- the part of the podcast that I think is going to become uh, probably one of my favorite parts of the week, the weekly man hug with my brothers Aaron and Sam. Um, we had some other material recorded and planned for, for today, but um, something happened last week that I, I just had to talk about in this, in this edition of the man hug, and it was the... Um, the courtroom hug uh, that uh, Brant Jean gave Amber Geiger, the cop who killed his brother, and just um, what a what a powerful um, moment of grace that was for our culture, and it it was astounding to see just how viral it went and and how people responded to it, and so I wanted to get um, I wanted to get my brother's takes on it and just kind of talk through it. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I made the decision not to cut some things out that I had planned on maybe cutting out, but I, I figured, you know, let's keep this conversation as, as raw as possible. Um, so, uh, the other thing as well with it being kind of a long bit of audio, I didn't go through and, and cut out all the noise. So it, it will be a little bit, uh, the, I don't know, the audio will be a little bit messier, um, we'll call it organic. It's it's uh, the audio will be more organic, which is good. It's it's better for you. It's more healthy organic stuff. So, <laughs> um, I hope you enjoy it. This is me and and my brothers Aaron and Samuel talking about the uh, the Brant Jean and Amber Geiger case. assistant in every single home <laughs> to give prophetic word to yes, at, the at home a, prophet yeah. <laughs> the prophet mini well you know my uh should we get into our topic yeah let's yeah let's, let's do let's, this thing let's get into the man hug topic this week so i guess so first of all um okay we talked about my week <laughs> sam we talked about your week although you weren't recording. I don't think we had that recorded. Okay, Sam, so you, you had a weekend where you went to uh, Starbucks, right? That's basically <laughs> what happened. Just went to a lot of different yeah, Starbucks. We Seattle, and basically the only thing in Seattle is is Starbucks. No, they um, the original Starbucks is up there, which is pretty cool. Um, it tastes the same as every other Starbucks. There's nothing special about the coffee, um, but it's a neat experience. It's kind of like a coffee little mini thing it it wasn't that special um I, we went really early so we, we mm-hmm. didn't have a line but during like the middle of the day on the other days we walked by it it was like a mm-hmm. line coming out the door and now you can say you've done and it we're right like, Man, it's we're, an experience we're glad we yeah. didn't wait in line for this because it was nothing special but we did go to the reserve the starbucks reserve and um most confusing experience <laughs> of my life i mean there's like there were like three different bars um 
One of them was like a coffee cocktail bar. The other was like a coffee experience bar. And there was a dessert bar and a food bar. What's a coffee like, experience what? bar? There were no directions. What? what? It was so What weird. makes it yeah. an experience? <laughs> it was just crazy. Like they had all these weird, really like, crazy coffee things going everywhere. They had like giant copper tubes going into the ceiling that fills up these giant co- I mean, it was just Dude. It was a crazy uh like, it was like uh, a coffee. Willy there's, a, there's a coffee, coffee shop people. downtown Detroit that we go to a lot called the Roasting Plant. And uh you walk in and all of the beans are in these transparent cylindrical tubes in the middle of the room. And uh, when you order a coffee, it's like this vacuum, and it'll suck up the raw beans. I've this been there. Tube. Nice. I know have what you. Really? I know what you're talking about. Yeah, because I I have a a friend I used to work with at Expeditors who lives in downtown Detroit, and he took me there once, and it's really oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, no, I've gone there many many yeah. times. Wow, but that's always a fun little yeah, fun little yeah. place. Have you been to um, that um, that little breakfast place? It's right by there too. Oh, what's it called? Oh. It's like a kosher breakfast place. Um, I think I know what you're talking. Do they do like omelets and stuff? Yeah, you can get lamb bacon. Yeah, I I've heard of it, but I have not been there. Mm, it was delicious. Yeah, mm, lamb bacon, not as good as real lamb bacon. bacon. Good story, yeah, guys. I know. So, Aaron, good what story, happened guys. to you this week? It's great. Uh, not much. <laughs> I don't even remember. <laughs> Did you dad hard? <laughs> Dadding all day every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, Monday I got I, I was with the, the kids all day, and I got to go and f- photograph for a golfing charity golf event, and so she got to go do that, and uh, me and the kids hung out and photography did stuff. Hung out and did stuff. Yeah, she went photography. That's about it. Yeah, nothing, nothing too crazy. Um, so one thing before we start. I uh, a few people have approached me and said, "Hey, really like the podcast. Um, who are your brothers? What are they? Where are they from? Tell me about them. They're really they're really nice." Uh, so, I know we recorded a little intro bit for each of us, and it, they just they didn't really go very well. So, just really mm-hmm. quick, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. Ooh, go, Aaron. Oh, me first. Yeah, Aaron first. Okay, um, I am, I'm the third of the Barry clan, so uh, Joel Third in line for Sarah the throne. Me, yes, yeah, um, and 20, 29 years old, almost 30, which is crazy, mm. but I live in uh, Detroit, well, I, uh, Lincoln Park, Michigan, which is a little southwest of Detroit, um, with my wife and two kids, and uh, I serve on staff at a church here um, with the college and career group. And then I do that part-time, and then I recruit for uh, Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary uh, uh, part-time as well. So that is what I do and am doing. Um, is that good? Anything else I should share? That was good. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go Sam. All right. Yeah, uh, he's I got glasses on. Yeah, um, same with glasses. I do. I put nice. my glasses on. This is my smart face. <laughs> you do look when smart. We need to talk yeah. about smart things. Um, hey everyone, my name is Sam Barry. I am the fourth of the Barry clan and the youngest brother. And I uh, decided to sell one of my kidneys so that I could pay rent out here <laughs> in Denver. Um, 
How, been, did, did that uh, get you like a month or two years? Or two? Okay. Yeah, about a month. Yeah. You're gonna one have kidney to. per month. So it got it got me you know enough buffer to figure out the rest of the eleven <laughs> months. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I've been married to my beautiful wife for two years. Uh, actually, the end of this month. Um, next next Congrats, weekend, buddy. actually. Uh, her family's out here. Um, I am a a proud college dropout. <laughs> I think schooling is a scam. <laughs> And advanced education is um, at least a waste of my money, personally. If you've chosen to advance your education, that's great. I hmm. think like for that's nine great. years. As, um, but for as what, someone who, <laughs> who did not our, drop out of college <laughs> and completed my degree, I completely agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, along with being, along with uh, selling my kidney, I had to drop out of college to afford rent in hmm. Denver as well. Um, no, I I uh, I work for a podcasting uh, kind of agency. We do um, we get people on the shows pretty much. It's kind of like a PR PR uh, agency, but just for podcasts. Yeah, when are you when are you gonna um, get some some cool person onto our show? What the heck? Yeah. Um, what? We, yeah. we want Michelle Obama. Yeah. We give us Michelle Obama. <laughs> when, when can you get her on the show? Yeah, I was just talking with her yesterday. Yeah. Actually, well, as a tell her fact, to get on. Yeah. With, get on the man hug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's what I do. Um, I have zero children, and um, hopefully, we'll have some soon in the future. And that's my life. Awesome. And if anyone is curious I, I sit on it i sit for an hour with these guys every yeah, week man. and talk about <laughs> stuff and if anyone's curious about uh, you know how we spent our days as siblings back in the day mostly consist of stop action movies mm-hmm. with gi joe and and other action figures yeah. mm-hmm. um it's usually sam and i and then joel would Legos. usually come in and make it a lot cooler and funnier <laughs> and so that's <laughs> Yeah, Joel would come in and be like, "Oh, what if we did yeah. this?" And it would be that and, and yeah, or in Lego, we did a lot of Lego stop action movies. Um, yeah, Lego, and yeah. then you know, Joel was also the Lego master, uh, which you probably could have made a career out of that too, Joel. Well, if you, you know, wanted. all three of us are creative. I always wonder what would have happened. So, you remember? I remember when I when the Lego movie came out, and uh, mm-hmm. I saw that, and I I think it's it's actually directed by two brothers, like Phil. <laughs> like Miller, Chris Lord, or something like that. I I can't remember what You're their like, names we are. We totally could have done that. We've already done that, right? Well, the, just even like, like the humor in it, and yep. like it just reminded me a lot of <laughs> of us and what we used to do. And I just thought, man, I wonder if our <laughs> we could have we could have become <laughs> filmmakers, yeah. probably. What what we what we could have done if we were allowed to access the <laughs> YouTubes in our in our younger days. Um, is we could have we could have created an entire oh, yeah. like internet yeah. YouTube channel with these all videos. of our movies are just seen, they're there's lost some out in there. some mm-hmm. bunch of old like, you know VHS yeah. tapes yeah. in some closet oh, yeah. somewhere they were so funny yeah like our Japanese mm-hmm. anime it's good. back when Iron you could Monkey. go viral you know like you yeah. could actually go viral yeah yeah, yeah because YouTube yep. used to be just consist of really stupid weird. Videos. Yeah, it was just anarchy. I mean, it's, it was it's beautiful. Still, yeah, it was just. It's <laughs> <was> a great <laughs> time. It was just people doing stuff. Like the remember the first uh, like lightsaber duel oh, with yes. um, Eric and someone else. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and they 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 got they did this lightsaber duel and they they edited it and everything and it was it got like 
hundreds of thousands yeah. of views or I don't even probably not a million but back in the day like hundreds of thousands of views was a big deal yeah the biggest thing and you remember ever. when YouTube videos could um, only be five minutes long max mm-hmm. yeah that's right oh yeah <laughs> yeah now they like have to be a minimum of 10 yeah. minutes if you want advertising know, on it right. but exactly. yeah so so the three of us guys we're gonna have to keep our eye out for the next thing whether that be like yeah, TikTok. <laughs> let's oh, get on TikTok. No. <laughs> let's start a TikTok channel. That'd be like midlife crisis material, right there. Oh my goodness, wouldn't that be so funny? <laughs> like three adult men on TikTok. Uh, oh my gosh. Well, we, so man. I am on the um, I'm on the waiting list. Like two months ago, I signed up to join the beta for ThinkSpot, which is Jordan Peterson's new mm. platform that he's he's created to be an alternative to patreon so it's it's like a free speech platform zero censorship um it'll probably be overrun by nazis within two weeks um (laughs) but it'll be fun for the first but it'll be fun right so it's like yeah so it's where all the intellectual dark web you know will kind of congregate and so i'm waiting for my ticket to come up to join and and i'm excited because i'm going to have material already and yeah. a lot of it is, you know, uh, Christian apologetics, you know, theist type stuff. And I know a lot of those intellectual dark web guys are atheists. So it's going to be a fun little, yeah, it'll be a little fly in the butter over there. <laughs> think spot. Watch nice. out. Think There's spot. There's a good podcast title name. For, for fly in the butter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does that even mean? Is that a That's like expression? an Andy Griffithism, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a fly in the ointment. Fly in, yeah, yeah, fly. Yeah, that's that's the expression I was going for. Fine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, okay. So everyone's been introduced. Um, thank you guys for being with me this week. I we have some other material recorded, but I wanted to call an emergency meeting of of the Council of Manhug to talk about mm. um, talk about what happened last week. And uh, we we'll call it the man hug heard round the world, um, you know. And I was I was following it a little bit before this happened, but it it didn't, you know. I mean, it really blew up after after uh, Brant Jane Brant Jean Brant Jean um, right, yeah. forgave uh, the the killer of his brother in in the courtroom there. And, um, it was, yeah, so I, I just, I wanted to talk about it and I, I wanted to talk about kind of what it means more broadly for our, our culture. Um, want to talk about some of the reactions that, that we saw to it and, um, I don't know, kind of hash it out a little bit. So I guess maybe we should start by maybe laying out the case in the background for people who aren't as familiar with it, right? Yeah. So how do you guys, um, how do you understand the sequence of events, kind of what happened? So I think it was, what, about a year ago, I think, when the initial incident took place, right? Um, Just over a, a year. A woman yeah. police officer, which I'm, I'm blanking on her name right now. Um, uh, Amber, Amber Geiger. Amber Geiger. Yep. So she walks into an apartment, uh, according to her, thinking that it's her own apartment, mm-hmm. um, and she sees a man... Uh, basically, well, I think he ended up. He was like sitting on the couch eating ice cream. Yeah, just watching. And uh, and she shot him, Yikes. killed him. Mm-hmm. And uh, according to her, 
Um, she yelled orders that he didn't follow. According to witnesses, no orders were given. Um, and so obviously this became a big deal, um, you know, calls for, for justice. And, um, and then the, uh, and then with the court ruling, the, um, the jury found her guilty, sentenced her to 10 years, which was, um, was less than. Do you think that was a fair sentence? What did, what did you think of that sentence? Considering all the. Uh, That can be, I don't know, maybe we can talk about that. So because I mean, it's it, interesting because I, I think we should talk about the circumstances leading up to that because according to a lot of the jurists, the sentence itself was influenced by what happened in that courtroom with yeah. Brent John. So yeah, right. so I mean, it, it it's such a weird thing because I did have a certain level of um, of sympathy for uh, the officer Amber Geiger. Just I, I don't know, just knowing how absent-minded I can be sometimes um, there's a reason I am not a cop and should never be a cop because <laughs> because because uh, walking up to the wrong floor of an apartment building you know if I lived in a building like that it would probably be something I'd be doing on a weekly basis um, mm-hmm. but she had just come off of a like a 13-hour shift like and I think mm-hmm. it had even gone longer than than 13 hours um, she was in the middle of a, a a romantic relationship with her former partner. <clears throat> her her former partner. So she was she was sending. They were sending like explicit text messages back and forth to each other, like uh, during the drive home and as she was pulling into the parking lot and as she was walking upstairs. So she was obviously distracted. And uh, according to her, she opened the door. All the lights were off except for like the glow of a computer screen, and and she just saw a figure sitting on the couch, and whatever happened, she. But who who sits in the living room with all the lights? Well, he was watching TV. TV. Yeah, you know, I uh, I, I do so. it all the time. I just turn the lights off right now. Eat ice cream. I, I grab the whole gallon. Turn, with the lights turn out all the lights off. The computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, shouldn't be laughing about it, but I, I um in. You know, and the f- the figure started walking towards her. Didn't stop. You know, and and you know, there's a there's another layer to it as well, which I know it's not politically correct to say this, but she's a female officer, and a 120 pound female does not have the same number of steps of escalation of force that a male does. And by that, I mean a male has the operation to, or a a male has a a larger, you know, a a big guy, 250 pound guy has the option to progress from verbal orders to, you know, to physical force with his, with his body um, that a smaller female doesn't have. And so, you know, it's like for a female, I feel like it's, it's more, you're more likely to go from verbal orders straight to guns drawn because they don't have those in between steps available to them physically. You know what I mean? And I think, well, I think the pushback against that, I wouldn't say that's always true. The pushback against that would be, um, 
there's been a lot of other examples of police officers skipping those in between steps and going straight yeah. to gunfire. You mean and I think male that's police the officers? Backdrop. That's that's the backdrop to to this yeah. this situation. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't think I don't think that's necessarily always true. I don't think just because she's a woman that she would she should get away with using no excessive no force I'm, I'm immediately. I'm, I think I understand I understand yeah. your point though. I'm not and saying I think it's that, that it means she um, should get away with it. I'm just saying that I don't know. Maybe I'm just making a sexist point about women police officers and I, like, <laughs> Joel, stop being so sexist. Towards well, you know what I mean. Officers. Like it's um, she's in a romantic relationship with one of her coworkers. You know, she's by herself. I don't know. Um, I just, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I, I think that there was lots of conflicting testimony around what happened before, during, and after where, you know, she didn't follow life-saving steps. She was calling her, um, you know, her her boyfriend or whoever instead of, like, reaching out and asking yeah. for assistance on the radio. Or, or you know, th- there was lots of things that was, like, Oh man, this wasn't yeah, handled. She was right. emotional. And if it was she's handled a chick. correctly, <laughs> we're totally going <laughs> to cut this out. Right? <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean seriously. Like you know, if you're a guy yeah. and you do and you do something like that, your first action isn't going to be to call your girlfriend and and tell right. her. You know what I mean? Like, but her first action was to call her boyfriend. I don't know. Like, it, I'm I'm I, I know, know I'm like, being total I, sexist I here. I don't. I really hate bringing that <laughs> into this conversation. I I I don't like like it. Just she she killed yeah. a man. I mean, she shot a man, yeah. and you like that's the hard fact right there. She yeah, walked into someone's horrible. apartment and shot yeah. him, and you know it, that is yeah, a, it's think... a terrible circumstance. Like whatever whatever happened yeah. surrounding it, um, you know there, there's. There's reason to believe on both sides that she yeah. didn't handle it correctly. Yeah. And regardless of her gender, she's a police officer and you know, and as a law-abiding citizen, you're expected to handle things, you know, in a way that's professional, that doing everything that she possibly can to save this man's life and you know, it's you know, I think the the sentence is is appropriate if a bit hmm. light. Um, it, it, it it was she was convicted on murder, not yeah, manslaughter. She was. Is yeah. that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, I I don't have all the details, obviously, but you know, I think it's you you look at the fact that look, she she killed somebody. There's conflicting witnesses. You can say on both sides that like, oh, you know, she had a a long tired day. She was just yeah. really tired. Um, and, and then on the other side, it's like, well, she should have known. And as as any citizen. And especially as a police officer, you you take appropriate steps when you shoot somebody, you know, and then when you realize that, I mean, like, mm-hmm. imagine the horror, you know, realizing that yeah. it wasn't her apartment. Um, you know, you take steps to save that person's life and, and all that. So I think that... No, I, you know, I agree. I think, I, I think the circumstance itself lends to a level of understanding and and a level of sympathy for the police officer. I mean, a lot of stress. The circumstances were all wrong, and it led to a disastrous outcome, and she obviously was torn up like crazy about it. So I think there's a, there's there's room for that. At the same time, I think understanding that if she would have gone off, got off scot-free and be found innocent, that would have been wrong. And I, I think, I think right. we should be glad that at least a level of 
justice, justice yeah, was, justice was, was, was brought to it. Yeah, no, I agree. I well, I, I think the other element too that we didn't bring up was I. I guess there were some. Um, it came up in the court that there were like she had sent some racist text messages or something like that. So there was a racial component to yeah. you know she was a white police officer, sure. the victim was black, yeah. and um, and I think that's that's really at the core of this whole thing was that yeah you know it, it was a it was a white police officer and and the innocent victim was a black guy um yeah. and so it, it it suddenly meant uh, the the case was suddenly it, it had a lot more gravity than than another case another similar case right. might you know and i think i think we should let's let's jump into what happened in the courtroom itself with the uh, with Brent John and his comments on the stand, and you know maybe even when you're editing this, you can kind of throw in the audio clip or something. Yeah, um, yeah, I think I will. Uh, so, I mean, just for for context, to the, the the brother of the of the man who was murdered um, is in the stand and uh, offers forgiveness to this officer, and then asks permission to uh, come around and give her a hug, and they hug for a long time they're both sobbing um and then that's followed up with the judge the judge herself uh got off the stand and and gave her her personal bible um hmm. and uh and told her to read you know John 3:16 and stuff like that and and that moment itself was shared all over the place um just a powerful expression of forgiveness um and i just i guess i was kind of thinking to myself why did that why did that impact so many people what is it about that expression that that floored so many oh yeah i mean you know what what was i think it it was more powerful than you know uh like a a a street protest with a hundred thousand people i feel like there are you know, there are demonstrations where people organize mass rallies around a certain cause of, of one type or another. And, and like, it's, I don't know, it's amazing how powerful that one small gesture was and, Mm -hmm. and how it resonated with so many people. And you saw it was immediately contagious, right? When you, when you looked at the judge, I would venture to guess that if he had not done that, the judge wouldn't have, acted in the way she did Mm. right that 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 act of unmerited undeserved forgiveness i think one of the reasons why it was so powerful is that it was unexpected and unnecessary yeah right and unnatural to get up unnatural unnatural unnecessary unexpected but yet there's something really beautiful about it and everybody recognized that Mm -hmm. right if for him to get up on the stand and just rail into that cop and and bash her I don't think anyone would have blamed him for that or had gotten mad at him for that. Um, But when he did what he did, it just, it floored so many. And I think it, um, it just flies in the face of the culture's universal response or what the, what the culture thinks is the universal response solution to racial reconciliation, cops, you know, all this stuff. 
um, it just it flew in the face of what most people um, see as the the way forward. Um, yet everyone saw it as something that was incredibly beautiful and 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 inspiring. You know, there there were a lot of people that were actually up, yeah. upset oh, yeah. at him. Yes. Yeah. For doing oh yeah. This. There's a whole other side um, to this, and I think I, I think there was there you is. you mentioned Aaron this this idea of of it like of it being a way forward or a demonstration of a way forward, mm-hmm. and I think that there are certain people who are really offended by that notion that our way forward is for black people to forgive white people or excuse white people like it's like the balls Mm -hmm. in their court if we're going to move forward then you know then black people need to just forgive and move on you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah well yeah and i think that's a dangerous that that's a dangerous um response to it and Mm -hmm. and i think for for people that lack any humility um are going to run right to that yeah you know just like if yeah it's like kids you know when you're get when you're when you're caught in some type of you know disobeying your parents or something like that and you're so quick you know well you should just forgive you should just you know sit you know get over this and and forgive me Mm -hmm. um which is the completely wrong response i think the reason why it shattered just the expectation and how everything is, is that it actually moved past race overall. Um, that he, he, he treated her as a human. And I think that's what was beautiful about it. Um, they were all humans in that courtroom. It, it, you almost forgot that race was even an issue in that moment. Um, and that's, that's are people um, terrified of us uh, forgetting race. Is that what people are terrified of? Yeah, I, I mean, no, that's not the whole picture. But I mean, I think that's that that might that's that's part of it. I, Aaron, that last point there, talking about how you know he he treated her as a human. I think that was probably the most beautiful part yeah. of that mm-hmm. act. Um, and I think that you know from from that other side, from some of the people that got frustrated about this. You know, of of course, there's some, you know, there's some pride in there. There's some, you know, um, maybe maybe some bitterness at some of the, you know, the racism that the black community has been dealing with for a very, very long time in this country. Um, there was a really interesting, I just, I was just searching around and Googling before we got onto the show here. And um, it was a article in the Miami Herald um, and, and it was just kind of talking about kind of giving a perspective on, you know, look like this is forgiveness is, is a beautiful, powerful thing. But, um, you know, wh- who's forgiving black people? Why is it that, you know, you have so many, so many examples of, you know, the he, he brought up the um, that church shooting. Was that in uh, Charleston or mm-hmm. no, Birmingham? No. Uh, yeah, we're the, the church shooting just talking about. You know, look, all, all these <laughs> these black people are, are forgiving this man. Mm-hmm. They're they're wanting the best for them, and I think you see examples of this over and over again from the black community. You don't you um, don't think you see it from the white community as much, or is it... I don't know. I mean, I think there are examples to show that you don't. Um, 
obviously there's examples out there of, of yes, white people, you know, forgiving, you know, the sins of black people and having empathy and, and having love, um, you know, kind of across those racial lines. But, um, but yeah, I, like I, I'm, I'm trying to just take that empathize with that other, other side of things of the frustration that people experience. Like, look, this is, they see another example of kind of this inherent racism in this country and when justice is um, displayed and when, when this woman is given a sentence, you know, they're kind of, you know, looking at this guy and being like, no, like, this is a good thing. She should go to prison mm-hmm. for what she did. And we want justice. And, you know, forgiveness is a, is, a, is a good thing. Yes, yes, we want that. We want you to be able to forgive and to free yourself from the burden of hating this person. But we also want justice. And I think that that is where some of this frustration is coming from. Um, an example that this author gave in this article was, um, oh, what is her name? Um, oh, I had it pulled up. Um, dang it. Oh, um, Marissa Alexander. Um, you know, and it, this this author is from Florida, so it kind of is closer to home for him. But he brings this up. She was uh, being, um, you know, she, her she's black, and her her boyfriend or husband, whoever was threatening her and assaulting her, and you know, physically abusing her. And she fired a weapon, a warning shot in the air towards the ceiling, and she got a twenty year sentence for you know um, aggravated assault. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that this is where the black community is coming from, maybe in their frustration over this act, in that, look, you have black people are still being put into prison for much lesser crimes. Hmm. You know, they're on, on minor charges. They're getting put up 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And this white woman who walks into a black man's apartment and murders him gets 10 and will probably be out after five. So I think... Hmm. That's where the frustration is coming yeah. from, and I think we have to be able to separate that frustration that that community is experiencing with the the beauty that mm. we see in this display of love and affection, and while encouraging that and saying, wow, this is a, an incredible display of love and affection, not ch- cheapening mm. justice yeah. at the same time. Uh, um, as a culture, we like to pressure victims to forgive right. it's like you know forgive 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 yeah. and you know i don't think that's always right or appropriate in every circumstance yeah. and and he said brant john mentioned in an interview that i watched where he waited over a year before issuing this yeah. forgiveness he said he waited over a year to hear this officer say i'm sorry and him her him mm. seeing her remorse and brokenness mm. over that and i think that's fair Absolutely. it's not just hey just yeah. just forgive Absolutely. just get over it and forgive that um, he waited to see the sorrow, um, and I think that's entirely mm-hmm. appropriate. I, I think so. Um, yeah. One thing that he mentioned in the interview, I think it was on Good Morning America. Um, you know, he said, "I don't really plan." This is a quote from him. I I didn't really plan on spending the rest of my life hating this woman. There's something mm-hmm. called <laughs> peace of mind. Um, mm-hmm. And meanwhile, yeah. outside of the courtroom, there are there's these chants uh, of j- no justice. No peace, no justice, no mm. peace. Mm. And yet Brant's message mm. was 
no forgiveness, no justice, and no peace. forgiveness, no peace, no forgiveness, right? no peace. And 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 both are but both are true. You need justice mm. and you need mercy. And I think mm. the problem is we're so quick to demand justice toward others, but we want mercy for ourselves. Um, and and I think that's one of the reasons why there was some beauty in this story is that you mm. saw an aspect of both. Mm. You saw justice being served and you saw mercy being given. Um, and I think mm. when you elevate one to the neglect of the other is when you have problems, mm-hmm. right? We're not asking yeah. for just all forgiveness and remove all the consequences and forget like nothing ever happened. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, to live in a life where it's all justice and no mercy yeah. is not a, it, it's not a world that any of us want to be living in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. That really, that sums it up it so really well, does. I think. Um, and it, you have those, those two sides of the aisle, yeah. you know, one is saying like, Oh no, forgiveness for everyone. Right. And then, um, you know, the other side is saying like, no, yeah. justice, justice, justice. And in reality, it's, you, you can have both. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it would have been wrong for that judge in that moment to say, you know what, mm, case dismissed. You know, like everyone go home. That would have been yeah, terrible, yeah. and that yep. would have that would have made it would have forgiveness look ugly because justice was. Yeah. was it would not have made served. what Brant John did have not as it wouldn't have. People, I don't think, would have looked at it the same way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think what I what just, what drives me crazy though is uh, you know there there are so many examples of similar situations happening where the cop didn't get justice and i i yeah. think i i watched recently um i don't know if you've seen the video of um there was someone made a call to the cops that someone at a hotel had a gun so the cops showed up and um the whole thing's on video and they have this guy come out of his room, a white cop, and it's a white guy, um, out of his hotel room. And he's just like some poor, like young single guy, like traveling salesman or something on business. And the officer makes him come out of his room, like on his knees, is like screaming at him. The guy's like in tears, like begging the cop, like, uh, you know, I don't have a gun. I don't know why you're here. Please don't shoot. And the cop just like unloads his his weapon to this mm. poor guy, while yes. while his hands are up and he's kneeling on the ground, and mm. the cop got nothing. He he mm. he walked away, completely scot free, um, and you know, and and no one talked about it because it didn't have the 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 political racial lightning rod around it that, that made it a newsworthy story. Um, but I don't know. I I don't even know maybe what I'm saying here, but, um, I guess I, it, it, it bugs me. It really bothers me to see the, the racial component brought into this whole thing all the time, you know, and, and going back to your point, Aaron, I think, that is part of what made it so powerful and also such a, almost maybe a, a, uh, not a dangerous act, but a, uh, a rebellious act almost is because it, it kind mm. of, for that moment in the courtroom, it kind of erased the idea of race for just yeah. that split second. Mm. And, and I think for, I, you know, and, and I'm going to be critical of these people. I think for a lot of people, 
they have a a career interest, a political interest, a monetary interest in keeping the race resentment mm-hmm. alive. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm I'm not going to say that there isn't racial injustice and racism that affects people, um, but I also don't think that it is nearly as much of a problem as it is made out to be and i it i it just poisons everything and i i hmm. i don't know i i do think but the problem is and the tough thing about the atmosphere is you're not allowed to say that i'm not i'm a white dude i'm a white male evangelical yeah. and, and 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 there's the 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 counter to what i just said is that well you haven't experienced it you haven't right you know, you don't. You, you haven't been there. You have nothing to say about this because you're a white male, and you know, wisdom. I'm I'm ranting here, so stop me if I if I go off the rails and and you know I can always cut this out. But wisdom knows no race. Wisdom is universal, yeah. and you know what what was it that Nelson Mandela said that that you know bitterness and resentment is like drinking poison hoping it's going to hurt somebody else hmm. and um i i acknowledge the just the horror and the injustice that um that black people in this country have endured in our history but it's hmm. also like it's also a, a painful and uh kind of a brutal truth to have to say that w- white people can't dig you out of this like Mm. yeah maybe white maybe white people put you there in the situation that you're in but white people can't dig you out like only only you can rise above your your circumstances Mm. and um the the calls for you know for white people to change for the system to change and that that black people will not be able to have good lives until white people do this or the system does that. I just right. see it as keeping so many people in imprisoned and without mm-hmm. hope because they live their whole lives being brainwashed and told that that hmm. y- you will never succeed in life unless that person over de- there does this and unless yeah. this system changes this way. Hmm. And, and it hurts. it hurts both ends of it. Right, so this whole approach of basically pushing and promoting guilt um, with no forgiveness in return. That, that, that's kind of like, you need to feel guilty, um, and we're not offering forgiveness, right? You just need to feel bad about it. And, and I think the um, it, the way it hurts both sides, like you mentioned, Joel, first of all, that if, you know, if you're aware with like the whole interse- intersectionality thing sure. that elevates victimization and degrades privilege, this, what this approach does is it not only makes the victimized become entitled and paralyzed in their state, mm-hmm. but it also makes the privileged more stubborn and defensive. And um, it, it also makes the privileged less likely to share their wisdom with the victimized or with the, the underprivileged. Right. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the answer to attaining privilege or attaining a better life for yourself is so often time to to hear the wisdom of those who have done better 
you know, that's what we do. That's why mm-hmm. people read self-help and listen to, you know, the startup podcast and because they want to hear the wisdom of people who've done it. But when you live in an environment where, yeah, like this, this uh, privileged victim mentality and that the privileged, quote unquote, are told to shut up, it, it cuts the underprivileged off from the, the lifeline that will help them. Does that make sense? Yeah, but you just said that you just think, said that you just said not, that the privileged can't help What's get that? them out of it. You just said that the privileged can't get them out of it. No, they, they have got they, them in it, but they the privileged can't get them out of it. But the the wisdom of the privileged, if 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 they apply it to themselves and use it for themselves, then they can get themselves out of it. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. And I think that there's, um, you know, the, the privileged are not the lifeline to the underprivileged. In some circumstances, yes, through generosity, through wisdom, through the sharing of knowledge. No, um, but the wisdom is like there's there's a yeah. saying I've and I can't attribute it to because I don't know who says it, but that that the privileged or the rich in this country are not preaching what they practice enough and they're too afraid to preach what they practice i mean the 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 wealthy in this country um stay married they go to church um they do all the things and follow all the rules that you need to do to to have a good life um but they're too afraid to preach what they practice because they're told you're a privileged person shut up yeah, and just to balance it out, I think it'd be f- fair for us to make the point also that we're not saying that all of the privileged are there because they're wiser. Oh, you're exactly right. right. Absolutely right. That that Absolutely. that, and, and the pushback would be, no, you're there Look because you Trump. were born into a better situation. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and that's, you got things handed to you. That's not the case you. with ninety nine percent. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. you have to make sure it's that's not. it's you're looking at it balanced but but bringing it but bringing it back i I think you know and and i'm i'm kind of ranting about just my frustration with some of the just the what seems to be an impasse with the like the racial disparity and 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 all that but i guess i i want to again remark how that act that christ-like act just just literally cut through all of that um everything that i've just and, ranted about <laughs> um and and any solutions yeah. that you might propose or or things that you might say need to change or someone else might say needs to change um it's it's the answer is so simple and the answer is christ i mean it 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 it's so simple and yet so difficult <laughs> And I think what's powerful about what happened in the courtroom is it's a rebuke to everyone. It is it is a rebuke to people on both sides of the argument, to both sides of the privilege debate, to both sides of the racial debate. You know, it is you know, it doesn't it doesn't show partiality in in the way that you know, it should cut to the heart and convict for, you know, just kind of using the traditional terms here, you know, for anyone that is like 
a white privileged person, you know, this this man has every right to be just frustrated at this system or frustrated with what he sees or frustrated with the racial tensions in the country, but he chose to forgive. That's a rebuke to to us. It's also a rebuke to the people who are, you know, kind of demanding this justice, no mercy, this, you know, kind of down with the, you know, just kind of a, a very bitter narrative. It's a rebuke to them as well. And so I think that's what what's powerful about this is it 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 is refreshing but also a rebuke yeah. to everyone mm-hmm. it, it doesn't um leave anybody out when it comes to uh lessons that mm-hmm. can be taken and i liked i i i kind of in a way hate to talk about this within the whole context of right ra- racial reconciliation like i i hmm. i like to more just focus on this incident in and of itself because hmm. i think hmm. the way that both him John and his brother would want it to be viewed is is two human beings reconciling mm. not how does this fit sure. into the whole network of recon- racial reconciliation mm-hmm. <laughs> this this situation um just how uh i was really in the um in the interview uh that he gave to good morning america i i watched the uh the the unedited video of his comments and one thing that didn't make it into the cut um was where he kind of talked about god and um of course he said yeah yeah cut he that said out. uh this this is a quote from him if you want to forgive her just remember that god forgave you hmm. i know that every time i ask god for forgiveness he forgives me so who am i not to forgive someone who asks, right? And so that's mm. the that's the mm. the main thing here. It's not like race mm. or black and white. It's God yeah. and humanity. Mm. Um, and, and what he mentions there, um, you know, reminds me of the the parable of the unforgiving servant um, in Matthew eighteen. If you're not uh, those listening, if you're not familiar with it, it's a parable that Jesus tells of a servant that's has a insurmountable debt that he can't pay um, and he goes to his master asks for forgiveness and pleads um, and his master graciously forgives that entire debt and then that same servant who was just forgiven goes out to a fellow servant who owes him just a handful and says pay me and his fellow servant asks for forgiveness and instead of forgiving him he grabs him by the throat and says and throws him into prison and sells his family and all his possessions Mm. um and the whole point of that is if you truly grasp the weight of what you've been forgiven of, um, it's easy for you to forgive. And I think that's what, what, what Brent John was getting at here. It says, I know what God has forgiven me of, so who am I hmm. not to forgive someone who asks for it? Hmm. Um, hmm. And, and that to me is the big takeaway. Hmm. Um, hmm. Because that's what... That's the reason why he did it. He wasn't doing it to to bring about pave ra- the way racial, for reconciliation. Ra- racial reconciliation. <laughs> but <laughs> I, of course he wasn't. But that is the answer, nonetheless, wouldn't you say? Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I that when you look at the, I think in a small way it's portraying the gospel. Hmm. Um, that because the gospel in Christianity is literally the only story that perfectly blends justice and mercy grace and truth together mm. and harmonizes them in the mm. death burial and resurrection of Christ mm-hmm. 
and and because of what we've been forgiven and the justice th- that we deserved which was death was placed on Christ and the debt we've been forgiven it frees us to forgive and 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 to love others around us that I, I'd say that the goal of the gospel is not ra- racial reconciliation but it's definitely a byproduct of it yeah. right it's it's not the purpose of the gospel but it's a it's a fruit of the gospel mm. because when when you when humanity comes to a point where they recognize that um they have been saved by grace then the differences that divide us don't divide us anymore they seem insignificant i i love that mm. because so before we sat down to talk i i just read f- through a few things and and i found an article on the gospel coalition it was a really well uh, thought out and just very thorough article about, you know, it, I think it was called racial reconciliation, and I'll I'll have to, I'll have to cite it later because I can't remember what it was called, but it, it was very long and it basically just in a very matter of fact way laid out all of all the things that we tend to kind of agree on and all the things that we disagree on and all the things that are kind of confusing and it was just such a a mess of. Hmm entangled complicated narratives and opinions and disagreements and it the whole thing is i just i don't know i just love the simplicity that and and satisfaction that the person of christ brings to this whole picture like you said with with justice being satisfied with mercy being satisfied and then just just the character of jesus um really in, in us living in his light and, and by his mm-hmm. spirit just kind of erases and melts away all that entanglement and confusion that we're like I feel like we're we're so caught up on on the argument and trying to counter the the different narratives and there's competing narratives and and no one really knows how to solve this problem but everyone everybody wants to solve this problem mm-hmm. and um I love the simplicity of the of what the answer is just yeah. being Christ and that's why that's why personally um I get kind of annoyed when churches mm. buy get into way the whole too distracted yeah, like yeah. like we need to we need to be looking at like our goal is to like bring ra- racial reconciliation. It's like no, your goal is to preach Jesus hmm. and share the light of the gospel. And you know what's going to happen if you do that? There will be no Greek or Jew or barbarian or slave or free because Christ is all in all. All right, like mm-hmm. you're going to be united hmm. in Christ. Um but the, yeah, we just get so distracted by all of the arguments <laughs> and all of the, the intricacies of it, That's so and the good. simplicity of it. We, is we buy into Jesus. we buy into the culture, like we we, yeah. and it's it's this. Well, I think I, I don't think it's buying into the culture. I think that these churches are trying to speak into the culture. No, I think I they're think being driven by it. Um, I don't. I don't think they're. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a difference between cont- contextualizing. I mean, there's it's. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I guess I'm, I'm referring yeah. to more like kind of the woke church movement or whatever you want to call it. But the, there's a difference between um, contextualizing the gospel for culture and letting the culture drive, you know, 
in, in the cultural narrative and cultural attitudes drive your theology. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, and I, I think I agree that that is, it is not good nor the point of, you know, churches, but I think there's, there's a necessary, we must, we have to speak into this, right? When, but how, um, like, you know, right. when, when, when a church on this corner is, and, and I, I really don't want to risk sounding, you know, really woke or whatever, or, or trying to, you know, satisfy some sort of no, like, no, guilt, that's okay. guilt complex. Cause like, I don't have any of those things, but like, you know, when a church on one corner is all white people mm-hmm. and then the church a block down is all black mm-hmm. people. And then, and then a church, you know, up the street is all young people. And then you go down the street a little further and it's mm-hmm. all old people. So I'm like, I, I, there's, there's issues we need to speak into as a church and you can't just be like, Oh, we just need to get up and, and speak the gospel. In essence, that is true. The gospel is the is the answer, right? That it satisfies that. It it, it talks about, you know, the human condition, not our racial condition. And you know, the racial condition is the result of our human conditions and our broken relationship with God and our broken understanding of who we are. And you know, I, I don't think that churches are inherently and I'm. I, this is kind of a rabbit trail, but I don't think in church, churches are inherently racist, but they are inherently selective. People can mm-hmm. kind of select what they want, and people tend to select what's most similar yeah. to them. And um, and that's yeah, I think, like, yeah. It's and like you already referred to, to Sam. Be, that's not just that people don't just do that along racial lines. They do that along cultural lines and age, generation, music, yeah. t- music right. preferences, yep. and you know. Yep. Um, yeah. And what I think, yeah. and I think that is an example of churches not being driven primarily by the gospel. They're being driven by mm. conservatives. Yeah, exactly. It's which, you know, which we group. We have a specific product that matches exactly. who you are. So do, what you do, you want. Think exactly. a, do you think that a, a church that is, I mean, if, if you can imagine a, a purely gospel-centered church that's just doing everything right, do you think that over time that's going to end up being a like a multi-ethnic congregation or um I'd yeah. say if they're if they so. are reaching their community like if they're actually fulfilling the great commission yeah. and they're not closing in on themselves and just hunkering down and keeping to their little circle but if they're actually going out and sharing the gospel with their neighbors and their friends and their coworkers, mm-hmm. then yeah, your church is going to reflect the demographic of your community because your church is reaching the community. Mm-hmm. And I think most right. people, new believers, I think the vast majority of churches that are segregated based off of generation or race isn't primarily driven by new converts going in. It's veteran Christians migrating to churches mm. that look like them. Mm. I, I think mm. I think when a brand new convert is won to Christ by a loving Christian, um he'll go to a community that's preaching the gospel and, and shows love. Um and so I think that's yeah, if you're fulfilling the Great Commission, that's what's gonna happen. Mm. But I feel like we're kinda getting off mm. topic here. <laughs> no, this I I mean I, I like that we brought it back to to this. I mean I there's there are a few tangents and just talking about you know 
police practices and, and racial reconciliation <laughs> and all that stuff. I, I think that all those are side issues that, um, you know, th- this is the main thing. And in any conversation yeah. that we yeah. have like this, I want to, I want to make sure we make the main thing, yeah. the main thing. And I think what made yeah. what another reason why um, it made Brant's uh, actions so powerful was it was really it was captured in um, there's an interview with the family attorney, and he was talking about his perspective on this the the the, the family attorney of of Brant and, and Botham and and he said as he was reflecting on the what happened in that courtroom he realized that. Um, this is his quote. He wanted uh, both them or Brant wanted not only to forgive her in words, but he wanted her to believe him. Hmm. So just saying it, she might not be convinced. Wow. So he asked to give a physical display of that forgiveness so that she would be free. Hmm. And and hmm. that is such a powerful picture of the love of Christ. Yeah. Um, that. It, Hmm. The forgiveness, and just to allude to the gospel that we say we we hold to, right? That the forgiveness that we possess from God isn't just because God told us, it's Mm -hmm. because God showed us. Um, That he stepped down and and, and became a man and took our sins in that physical... It was was more than just a physical display of how Mm -hmm. much he loves us. It was the only way to provide that forgiveness. Well, and you know, um, the, the, if you watch the video and saw the way, um, the Amber clung to him. Yeah. I mean, I mean, she, she looked like a drowning person holding onto a lifeline. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she was, she was just like holding on to him for dear life. It looked like, I mean, you could, you could yeah. just feel the, the relief, um, just watching through it just in the in the video um i mean i just yeah i can't imagine i can't imagine i mean what just what it did for him and what it did for her um just just incredible yeah yeah and that's that what i think is so fascinating is that so many people regardless you know there's there's both sides people were upset about it people liked it all that but I think the vast majority of people that saw this, there's something in them, although the culture is preaching one thing, yeah. right? That you, know, you just need to, you know, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. But when they see this, there's something in them that, that just recognizes this is, this is otherworldly. This is so different. This is so refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's alien. It's... Yeah, like like I said, yeah. it's unnatural, you know. Um, but it, at the same time, yeah, like you deep down know that there's something right and good and pure about this. Yeah, yeah, yep. And there's there's a sense in where people are reacting based on their own sense of justice, mm-hmm. and I think that the human the human created sense of justice is always the other. Yep. It's always that person's mm-hmm. guilty. That person is guilty. That person is guilty, and God's sense of justice is no you you're you're guilty I, yeah. I am let guilty. him who's without sin and cast the first stone right? <laughs> exactly yeah. and you know I think there's there's something you know incredibly powerful to that where it's it's we will never be able to create our own justice where we are so mm. unjust yep. even when we're trying to be just 
we're mm-hmm. unjust. Yep. And the only true form of justice is, you know, with a perfect judge that sees and mm-hmm. knows everything. And, you know, that that's our creator. And that's that's God looking at us and saying, no, like, you're guilty. <laughs> and and that's when the, the powerful power of the of the gospel story comes in and says, Okay, well, somebody took that guilt on them for mm-hmm. you. And so, um yeah, I think I think it's just that those two sides of yeah. the justice argument. There's one that's man created, that's yeah, flawed, yeah. and there's one that comes from We're God. really bad at giving justice. Uh, I, I think Yeah, we're terrible. We've never gotten <laughs> yeah. it right. Our 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 inclination, our natural our natural bent is to one up whatever injustice has been done to us, right? Mm-hmm. If someone does something mm-hmm. bad to me, I'm going to do worse to them. And it escalates and escalates and escalates. And if you want to see this I'd... in its purest form, I uh, I babysat a, a group of <laughs> eight two-year-old boys today at, oh, man. at church. Depravity is n- n- in nowhere we, greater. We are all like, and it, we are all that. It's just, we, yep. are, we are all a bunch of two-year-olds in a nursery and we've just... We've just graduated we've more to new methods. Yeah, we've it. gotten more yeah. sophisticated in our, our. It's just our adult version of. He took my ball. Now I'm gonna smack him in the face. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, true. I just. It, I wonder how we must look to God sometimes. That sounds like that's. I oh. mean, that sounds like justice. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, isn't that what football is? I don't know. <laughs> you yeah. just described football, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I just described. <laughs> The sports this ball? is why we all love football so much. It's, you guys it's are talking about sports my ball, ball again, aren't you? I'll hit him in the face. Yep, there we go. Sports ball. <laughs> you guys following the? Are you guys following the Browns this year? Oh. What? No. <laughs> no. Topic <crying>. shift. <laughs> all right. I'm just curious. The Browns? Are you following the Browns? I'm kind of following the Browns. Yeah, I, I, I'm because they were supposed to be really good. I'm the but only they're, one they're of the three here that lives in Ohio, and I. I'm not yeah, following the Browns. That's true. <laughs> Baker Mayfield. <laughs> well, Denver is like Owen, and, and I never liked Denver anyways, but we're having a terrible season. And because uh, the Browns are because they traded up, Tebow. So. God's wrath has been upon that's them right. ever since. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they rejected the that's prophets. right they no. stoned the prophets they will, who were sent they to will them conquered. God, god will bring in other nations to right. and route them. take them into slavery if uh, if the cities of sodom and gomorrah had the same chance that the city of denver had they would have repented oh my goodness wow okay well i so okay aaron i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna give you a stumper here you're probably gonna knock it out of the park because you're so smart oh don't don't so so brant brant jean's forgiveness of amber geiger Mm -hmm. uh i know we i know we love to criticize the uh the the saying preach the gospel at all times and when possible use words (laughs) but does does this does this give credence to that that saying did he did he preach the gospel without using words in that in that instance? no he used words dang it he did yeah he did pretty much <laughs> well he it. did so he, so he this did. is the yeah. thing and, and just to kind of that's to, a, that's to speak actually to that point. issue um is you you can't preach the gospel without words but 
um, we can adorn the gospel. That, that's what our good works, that's what our adorning. acts of love, that's a good. it adorns the gospel. But if you don't have any substance to it, then it's just fuzzy. You know, th- there's no foundation. So mm-hmm. you preach the gospel, you're clear on it, you proclaim it, and you adorn it by backing it up with your your love and your compassion, your forgiveness for others. And that's what he did. Good answer. Uh, see, I told you you'd knock I, it out of the park. I knew you would. <laughs> I would I would say that, um, you know, faith without works is dead. So y- if you right. had to choose one, either... Yeah, either the the works of faith or the words of faith. You would have to choose the works of faith because words yeah. without anything to back it up. If you're just a vain, empty preacher yeah. clanging cymbals and making yeah. noise, no one's gonna listen to you, and you're actually gonna make the gospel worse. Yeah. Because on the flip side, right? Although actions without words is not preferable, you want to speak. Um, but when there's an act of otherworldly love like this. I think uh, it strikes a chord with with the way that God has created us, I think, in the image of God and man um, that could prompt someone to, to find the answer. On the flip side, if it's all words and no love, that's why so many people see Christians as a bunch of hypocrites mm-hmm. because they, they, they preach the truth, but they never back it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you're right. So if you're going to err on one side or the other, faith without works is dead. Uh, but preferably you want both. Mm. Did you ever see that article, Joel? I think it was Babylon B a long time ago. Um, man commits to feeding the poor, uses food if necessary. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Babylon B. Have, yeah. I, have I mentioned that I love the Babylon B? I, th- I think you've said okay. that once All or right. twice. Just, just yeah. want to make sure everyone knows that. Shout out, quick shout out, quick to, shout the out to the B. Listen to our podcast and... and <laughs> Please, please just hire us all. <laughs> love is, us. Please love us. Love us. Notice us. <laughs> Notice us, Babylon B. We, we thrive off of love we and do. affection and adoration. We're like little little puppies. We need it on a daily, consistent basis. <laughs> yep. uh, um, Aaron, I um, I really appreciate um, what you brought to this, man. Uh, I You really, you gave this some thought and you came some... Killed you, it. You brought some good wisdom and insight, and I and and you, you tempered my uh, political rantings quite <laughs> quite well, and I do appreciate that. And uh, you you as well, Sam. Um, good good discussion. Are we missing anything? Do you, is there any? Do we need to put a pin in anything at all? Well, I'd or, say. I don't <laughs> just just I don't know whether we, we put whether we include this, this right whether now? we include this or not I, I, you know to to any listeners here that that aren't acquainted with or familiar with the Christian faith hmm. the reason why this story resonates with those especially those who have p- professed faith in Christ is that our faith is is a faith that states that we are undeserving of any forgiveness whatsoever that if justice were to be served Hmm. uh, we would spend eternity away from from god um and we aren't a bunch of perfect people who have it all figured out we're a bunch of forgiven people who have been set free from our sin Mm -hmm. And, and and so when we see pictures like this it reminds us of the debt that we've been forgiven Mm -hmm. um and that's, I think, 
it, yeah. it does. We're it's, we're all Amber Geiger, right? Yeah, yeah. And the, the the crazy thing is, as powerful as this picture was, it still falls short of the picture that that Christ of Christ's death, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're to use that courtroom scene, it, it goes beyond a hug. It it goes to the the judge himself taking the penalty of the convicted. Yeah. And setting the convicted free. A perfectly right? I mean, innocent judge yep. and a and a completely guilty um Yeah. And so, you know, Christians stand not in any of our own righteousness, but the the righteousness of, of Christ who who saved us. Hmm. Um you know, no merit of our own. And uh, I don't know, I just feel like that's important to throw out there. Um It's good. Way to use your words, Aaron, to yeah. Now to display the gospel. There. Let's all give each other a hug Not, to, to adorn that gospel <laughs> that I just, just shared. Now go feed some people <laughs> to make sure it's back. Right. <laughs> maybe Aaron, maybe you should lead us in the sinner's prayer in case anyone's listening here. <laughs> Everybody, I can do. I can do, I can do a killer invitation, guys. <laughs> if you want me to take you through the, the process of manipulating people into a decision for Christ, I've got it down. Should, man. should we have everyone bow? Everyone bow your heads and close, your, heads and close your, eyes. your eyes. No one looking around. Yeah, we we can have. I'm not going to uh, embarrass you altar. or point you out in any way. Just stand up, look at me, and <laughs> yeah. Goodness gracious. Aaron, I've been waiting for your Southern Preacher My. altar call impersonation since we started really? this. Well, so. maybe someday we can <laughs> give it more. This has been the Petty Prophet Podcast. Don't forget you can reach out to us on our website on the contact form at www.thepettyprophet.com or you can reach us at contact at thepettyprofit.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. One of these days we'll do a mailbag or something, answer subscriber questions. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening.